0: And now, today's podcast episode. Last
1: week, we talked about myth and the power of myth and how myth gets created. And when we understand again that humans developed at some point the ability of language, which now uh, allowed space to gossip and to eventually create binding myth stories within tribes and communities. One of the myth stories that we still hang on to is the Adam and Eve Christian Judeo-Biblical creation story. And the story to me is quite interesting, and I, I want to point out some similarities it has to other stories that are at least to some degree science-based. Uh, um, at, least, at least the evidence pointing to it is derived from anthropology and social, sociology, and at least the theory is hinged on to some degree what we know about human evolution and when we look at the adam and eve story let's uh let's recount it a little bit so that we have something to kind of base this conversation on god creates the world and he creates the various things on it and as he does so eventually he places animals on this planet and then he creates man and woman man is named adam And Adam then names the woman Eve. They are in this garden. They are naive. They are unaware. They don't know the difference between good and evil. They only know the rules that have been set for them. And those rules are that they are not to partake of the tree, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they're happy in the garden. They're naming the animals. But we say they're happy, but really are they? They don't know good from evil. It seems like a mundane existence if you don't comprehend good and bad and if you can't appreciate the good for what it is in juxtaposition with the bad. And so Adam and Eve are going along and they name the animals and they're, they're doing their thing in the garden, but they are to some degree ignorant, naive. They don't have the consciousness or mental ability to do certain things because they're limited by their lack of awareness. One day they're tempted by a serpent, to partake of the tree of good and evil, to eat the fruit thereof. And Eve does, and now she has some sort of awakening experience. She convinces Adam that either, A, we can't stay together if I've done this thing and you don't, so I've got to go. And so Adam, perceiving that there really isn't a choice here if he wants to stay with this woman that's been created for him, he also, too, partakes of the fruit, and now understands the difference between good and evil. He understands good and evil. His consciousness is expanded. He also enjoys some sort of awakening experience. And now they have to leave the garden. God comes down, sees what they have done, and expels them from this beautiful place that they could stay in so long as they hadn't partaken of the fruit. And as I listen to this story, first off, the myth is quite creative. And I think I think all myths, when they started, They were based in some truth that the person who created the myth was trying to convey. When you look at the nursery rhymes of our day, or the fairy tales of our day, they attempt to teach us things. They attempt to teach us the difference between good and evil. They attempt to teach us what it means to live a good human life and to be honest. They teach us what happens to people who make bad choices over and over again. It teaches us that sometimes bad things happen to good people, but that good generally prevails in the end. Whether that's actually true, whether good prevails in the end or not, us humans need stories of positive happening among the chaos and the bad so that we can have hope, so that we can think things are going to get better, so that we can assume there's a brighter day ahead. In the midst of bad news, in the midst of dealing with an ailing loved one who is getting worse, in the midst of tragic accidents, in the midst of loss of children at birth and parents to old age, we need hope of things to come that are better than what they are in this moment. And so often these myth stories that we tell in our world, and by the way, when you go to the theater and you watch the Avengers, when you watch Batman or Superman, when you see Harry Potter, or Lord of the Rings you're watching myth stories and we have just created new mediums by which that we humans within our tribes share these stories with each other and so people often wonder what would happen if religion went by the wayside and the reality is that we humans are going to create myth stories inside or outside of religion we're going to create stories of good and bad when i watched wwf wrestling as a kid now WWE, by the way, but WWF wrestling, wrestling was fake, obviously it's fake, and you have all these wrestlers, but you had the good guys and the bad guys, and there were storylines, and the good guys uh, sometimes got cheated out of a win, but they generally ended up getting uh, the victory eventually. uh, As they would wrestle with that opponent a few more times, they would eventually get the upper hand, and once they won, then they would move on to the next opponent. And so in our world as human beings, we have myth Stories all around us that teach us principles, that teach us what it means to be a good person, that teaches us how to handle the hard things of life, that's what myth stories as narratives are intended to do. And so whether it's the Avengers movie, whether it's Grimm's fairy tales, whether it's a nursery rhyme, or whether it is a religious narrative, these myth stories were meant to help teach us what it means to be a human what it means to dive into the human experience and to give us, in a sense, a technology that can be passed on from generation to generation. Imagine this for a moment, humans with no language and the difficulty in passing on skills, the difficulty in passing on experience, near impossible. But the moment that humans developed language, we exponentially increased our ability to transfer skills and experience onto the next generation. Language gave humans such a useful technology and the means by which to convey useful information that allowed us to exponentially do something different than the other species around us. And as I think about the Adam and Eve narrative in the Garden of Eden, it reminded me of another story that is... Uh, again more science based i think and what i'm referring to is terence mckenna's theory called the stone to ape theory and the idea was that whatever we humans were and we certainly weren't human hundreds of thousands of years ago as we and the other primates share this common ancestor we don't quite have consciousness we are an animal to the most serious understanding of that word, whatever we were, we looked somewhat human. We walked on two legs. We had some of the features of a human, of a homo sapien, but we were not human. We were animal. We didn't have language. We made noises. We chased down food and we had no way to convey essentially just about anything. And Terrence McKenna, uh, offered a theory that the idea that whatever we were in that moment, we came upon conscious altering drugs. Use magic mushrooms for an example, but there are others out there, such as ayahuasca, peyote, and others. And whatever we were, that we encountered these conscious altering substances. And on the degree to the degree that science can kind of be used, whether pseudoscience or not, be used as evidence, is the idea that we do know that the human brain um, increased in size at a certain rate a long time. And so when we go back hundreds of thousands of years ago, the human brain was much smaller. Whatever we were, again, I say human, but whatever we were, the brain was much smaller. And over the course of, of you know 200,000 years, the, the human brain got bigger. And there is a point later on where it does get a little smaller again, but we're ignoring that here for this moment. As the brain got bigger, there's a certain period of time where we can pinpoint in science that the brain grew at a much faster rate, exponentially faster, than the time before or after. And Terrence McKenna posits posits that as whatever we were, we came upon these conscious altering substances, and, and as we took those, we suddenly realized that we could see the world differently. One of the things that people who have used, again, I'll, I'll say cannabis or magic mushrooms, ayahuasca, peyote, and many of these substances are used in spiritual practices and in religious ritual. And, and these substances help the community of users have a mystical experience. And each user has their own mystical experience. Uh, there is a YouTube video which I will I will share in the resource notes for this and it goes into detail about uh, how something such as ayahuasca, how that is used and and the kinds of experiences that people have from it and when when a group of people are able to have dynamic individual experiences and then be able to come back from those and be able to share, Their experience with their community. And it's not just crazy stuff. It's not just being eaten by a dragon and flying above the trees across the planet. But these substances also tend to lend to their users opportunities for insight, opportunities to think new thoughts, opportunities to see the world in a different way. And Terence McKenna posits that as our ancient ancestors came across these substances, it dramatically increased their learning experience and the ability to convey different versions of reality and different truths that are learned under the influence of these substances. Now, when I was in high school, I used um, cannabis quite a bit and I used LSD a few times. And I have to tell you, when I used LSD, it was a dramatic experience and the world was different to me. And even as a kid who was trying to use it recreationally, I was aptly aware that I could enjoy a unique experience under the influence of this substance and, and that it woke me up to something, even if only minor. And I remember being on cannabis as a teenager in high school, and I remember the world slowing down, and I remember looking at people and being able to observe other humans in the midst of the human experience interacting with each other and to see those interactions from a much further back, like a 20,000 foot view. And it was fascinating to under that, uh, the influence of that substance to sit and watch people and to take in what they were doing and how they were communicating and what they were doing to try to fit in and what they were doing to try to set themselves apart. And, and these dialogues that have these almost ritualistic, um, patterns to them and how we talk in a group of friends and how that long that conversation goes and when that conversation starts to hit its end and how in a group of three or four people one person then breaks away and goes to another group and somewhere else in the room someone breaks away and comes into the group where that person just left and now a whole set of new conversations occur it was interesting to watch and to see how us humans do this human thing and so if you can imagine for a moment partaking in a conscious altering drug for the first time, our ancient ancestors in the, the variation of experiences that they would have and what they could learn from those experiences about themselves and about each other. And I think if we, if we understand these things as tools, we begin to sense the kinds of insights that people can have while on them. I read, about a year ago, I read Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. Michael Pollan is a foodie. He's a a, a food guy, and he's done lots of work in the food industry, and suddenly he gets this point where he takes up an interest in psychedelics. And his interest takes him to start writing a book on psychedelics, and he studies out Um, a plethora of psychedelics and he describes them in terms like in scientific terms like here's what they're made of here's what the active uh, chemicals are the active substances are here's what they cause and then by the end of the book he is trying some of these things and sharing his personal experience so i can't say enough please read michael poland's how to change your mind and in that book essentially for the modern day reader says like hey I know we grew up with a story that certain drugs are bad, and by the way, certain drugs are bad. We grew up with a story that these substances were deeply harmful. And what Michael Pollan has suggested, and what the science today is pointing at, is that some of these substances that were considered useless and dangerous are anything but. Magic mushrooms have been legalized in Colorado, cannabis halfway across the country, and, and more yet to come, right? There have been studies done with MDMA, which is also known as Molly or ecstasy, where they took soldiers with PTSD, put them through three therapeutic sessions with MDMA. They would take the MDMA, they would sit for a couple of hours with a therapist and work through their stuff. What we know about PTSD outside of this uh, this research is that you can't get rid of PTSD. You can minimize it. You can get you can make it a little softer, and you can give somebody the tools and strategies and resources to be able to cope and when the PTSD comes on to be able to move it uh, away or to put it down for a little while. But you can't get rid of it. And what they found through this research with MDMA was that after 3 therapeutic sessions with Molly, 76% of the soldiers with PTSD reported and indicated that they had no PTSD remaining. That's mind-blowing. And these are Schedule One drugs. And to be a Schedule One drug, you have to be both dangerous and have no positive use. And the research is now showing that we, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, got insanely crazy as a government and as a world in saying these substances are bad. And why did we do that? It's because when people take mind-altering, conscious-altering substances... They see the world in new ways, and they begin to think about how this world could have been built. You see, as you look around, this world is built with tons of arbitrary constructs. There are arbitrary constructs all around you. The speed limit on your way to work today was an arbitrary construct. The kinds of clothes that we see as acceptable are arbitrary constructs. The words that we use, the labels we apply, the guidelines, the etiquette, the right and wrong... All of it, arbitrary constructs. And within those arbitrary constructs, we're often shaming and manipulating people into getting in line and following the world the way we chose to build it collectively over breadth uh, and expanse of space and time. And once you realize the world didn't have to be built this way. Once you realize we could have designed a different world, it could have different rules. When we met each other and we saw differences and we, and we drew divisions, we instead could have saw each other as human and we could have drawn alliances and made each other just us, just human. Once people begin to see that the world can be built a different way, they begin to challenge those arbitrary constructs. They begin to be open to seeing new ways, new connections, new opportunities to do this thing differently. And so governments or systems, religions, they don't want people seeing the arbitrary constructs for what they are. They don't want people questioning, deconstructing, and challenging them. They don't want A bunch of people um, going through the individuation process of awakening. Instead, they want everybody following. Because even America, while we say it's built on the freedom of the individual, the reality is, and you can see it right now during COVID-19, that the individual health of any one person doesn't matter. What's important is that the system goes on, Once you see how fragile the system is, the system has to perpetuate itself at all expenses and all systems do. And while systems, some um, are born and some die, systems are always trying to perpetuate themselves and the leaders within them to perpetuate them. And so when people see how fragile any system is, we recognize that the viability of the system trumps the health of any one individual. And so even a country like America that is supposedly built on the freedoms of the one and the chance to pursue happiness, the chance to be free and to pursue those things which are both ethical, legal, and which bring one joy and happiness, or at least attempt to, you are free to do unless it puts the system at risk. And so systems are not big fans of conscious altering tools. Systems are not going to be okay with substances that cause people to question the arbitrary constructs of our society. And so some myths are good, and some myths are bad, in so much as they lift up or do damage to the system around them. But the evidence now is strong that things like magic mushrooms cause a increase in awareness, openness, inclusiveness of us humans to different ideas, Different people, different ways of doing things. And so now we go back to this stoned ape theory and we see the potential it has to explain the exponential uh, development of the human brain or this our ancestor's brain at some point deep into our past. And now we go into the story back again that we started with with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were naive. If, if you think about humans, we were located in a, a region, Mesopotamia, in that area in Africa. And whatever we were, we, we held this specific geographic ground just like all animals do. Just as all animals have their place in the world, penguins need to be in a certain spot. Kangaroos are in a certain spot. Tigers, lions, bears, ko- koala bears, panda bears, skunks... Possums, some animals can expand their uh, their home region, and other animals need certain climates and certain foods. Some animals can do really well in practically anywhere mice, for instance, and some animals need to be in a certain spot. Penguins, for example, are not going to survive in the center of New York City, but rats rats will do just fine, and so wherever we were, we had to have been in some place that uh, had Enough for our needs, it it had a lush environment that we were able to get the food we needed, both in hunting animals as well as in the fruits and vegetables and Whatever we humans were, as again the idea of Terence McKenna and comparing or juxtapositioning it against the story of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve are in this lush environment that has enough for their needs and and they are told to stay away from by who? by the system, by God, to stay away from the fruit of a tree that will give them an expanded consciousness of good and evil. But they're tempted, but not really, because they had to do it anyway, or none of us are here. None of us think the way we think. None of us understand good and evil. None of us would be human. So tempted to do something bad? No, but maybe tempted to do something good. And so Eve and then Adam partake of this fruit of the tree, and this fruit of the tree gives them a mystical experience. Whatever they took, it was a conscious altering drug. And it expanded their awareness. For the first time ever, they saw the world differently. For the first time ever, they saw each other and the world, the, world around them in a different context. They were never to be the same again. God or the system expels them. They have to leave this lush environment. Systems always expel people when they don't follow the rules. Look at any religion when you start to speak up as one of them, but to say something counter to what that system holds or believes. You are expelled. You are excommunicated. You are disfellowshipped. You are shunned. We can't have you influencing the rest of this group into thinking outside the box like you have. Most religions talk about inspiration and, and valuing truth and right. But the reality is it's, it's much more self-centered than that. It's, it's much more tribalistic than that. We only accept the truth that we get to take the credit for. We only accept the truth that keeps us bound together. And if anybody challenges the arbitrary constructs of here and does so with truth and right... We're still going to push back. And if they persist, we're going to expel them from our community. So systems have always expelled people. And Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden after having taken a conscious altering substance and having their awareness changed, increased. Their perspective is now more. And the system tells the story about, look, they were here. It was nice here. It was good here. It was perfect here. They could have stayed here forever. They just would have did what we asked them to. So we tell a story that we sent them out into barren land. But I also think it's possible that they chose with hope for a bigger, beautiful world to leave this naive and ignorant garden and to go out into a big and beautiful world and to start creating something new. You see, we can take myth stories around us and we can use them to teach new truths, to teach new things. We can, through myth, encourage people to awaken Check out Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind. I'll share other books and resources in terms of any of you out there listening going like, I want to know more. I want to understand what some of the benefits are from these things that we put on list and said, you are bad if you do these things. I think it's time that we as a world wake up and start to challenge the status quo and to recognize that the status quo is always changing anyway. And as we start to think critically about the systems around us and to uh, nudge into deconstructing and reconstructing and challenging our assumptions, challenging our biases and prejudices, we enter the space of awakening. Please consider helping us keep this podcast alive by donating. You can do that by going to the website almostawakened.org. There at the top of the page, you'll see the donate button. Click that. And send a few dollars our way. This takes lots of time and prep to do this podcast, but we're excited to do it. Help us keep it going.
0: This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes. Make a donation to keep this podcast running. Email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit no to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman.